It's time for Bourbon with Friends, the bourbon podcast that never takes itself too seriously. Pull up a chair, grab a glass, and remember, a bourbon with friends can change the world. Here we go. Hello and welcome again to another episode of Bourbon with Friends. I'm Paul, joined by Connor, and today we have a special guest with us. He is the national brand ambassador for Clyde May, uh, Mr. L.C. May. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. How are you? I am I am actually phenomenal. I, I thought it was Monday for like five seconds like earlier I, and then realized it was Tuesday. I thought the same thing today. I thought like halfway through the day, it's like, ah, oh, it's Monday. And then it's like, oh, it's Tuesday. It's It's better. Elsie, uh, why don't you kind of kick us off? Tell a little everybody a little bit about yourself. Obviously, you have a rich family history in 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 the spirits world. Uh, a very interesting, you know, past with your with your family and your grandfather. So, kind of run us through the history of that, and uh, we'll go from there. Awesome. Yeah. So, uh, like you said, uh, I'm the national brand ambassador for Clyde Mays whiskey. Uh, I'm also the grandson of the uh, original maker, Clyde May. Uh, and that's what LC stands for, Lewis Clyde May. He was Lewis Clyde May. I'm Lewis Clyde May. And uh, so basically my job and the role that I have is to uh, travel the state of Alabama where I'm where I live and to also travel the United States and to uh, really do anything you can think of uh, from, you know, bourbon events and bourbon dinners all the way down to training our distributors and meeting with accounts and uh, working with staff of various accounts and things like that. There's probably not something you can name that I haven't done at least once uh, in my uh, five going on six or so years uh, with the company, uh, or I should say, working with the company legally when I turned 21 and been doing it ever since. And it's a lot of fun and it's a great uh, time to be in bourbon right now and to be in whiskey right now. And uh, uh, certainly, uh, you know, really enjoy it when it's uh, something that you can connect to and it's part of family, you know. What did you do at the distillery before you turned 21? Uh, so obviously, uh, you know, well, my grandfather, uh, Clyde, he actually was a uh, moonshiner and illegal whiskey maker. He never sold a legal bottle in his life. So most of my experience growing up was actually around more of the, uh, illegal distillation. So, uh, <laughs> you know, regardless of age, it's illegal. So I guess it didn't really matter how old I was back then, you know, my, sure. uh, my dad wasn't letting me drink it or anything, of course, but he would have me, you know, haul the 50 pound bags of rye to the still and stuff, you know, toughen me up mm-hmm. a little bit, I guess, uh, growing up in yeah. rural Southeast Alabama. And that's, that's something that like, you don't, there's not a lot of whiskey from Alabama. I, right. I, you guys might, I mean, I, I, you guys are the most prevalent brand. So what is it, what's the whiskey scene like in Alabama? Is, is, is it different than, you know, other places in the country, say Kentucky or anywhere else? Oh, um, you know, in comparison to Kentucky, of course, you know, there's really no state quite like Kentucky in terms of number of brands and things of that nature. Uh, the whiskey scene here in the state is certainly growing. Uh, there's a handful of distilleries that are making bourbon whiskey, uh, most of which, if not all of which, on a pretty small scale, uh, we'll be. We're in the process of constructing our new 
a $20 million distillery in Troy, Alabama, which is where I live. And um, it'll bar none be the largest distillery in Alabama upon completion. From that aspect, right? Like, you know, walk us kind of through the brand, right? And I think it's funny when you said, you know, I've joined the company legally, like since you were being able to legally do it, it's, you have an interesting the brand has an interesting past kind of in that, you know, the moonshine uh, game as well. Can you kind of give us some backstory about that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, my grandfather, um, he was born in the 1920s uh, in the same uh, area. I literally grew up two houses down from where he lived out in the middle of nowhere in rural southeast Alabama. And um, after he returned home from World War II, uh, he was a Purple Heart recipient. Uh, yeah, Carter. touch on that because that's a really cool part of the story. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in fact, uh, if anyone's familiar or has seen the movie Hacksaw Ridge, which is based on the life of Desmond Doss, he right. and Desmond Doss were in the same infantry together. Um, you know, oh, very cool. Yeah, so uh, he was injured in, war- in the war. He led a 12-man rifle group, and uh, he was actually shot in his feet and ankles. And uh, as Forrest Gump would say, you know, that's a million dollar wound. You know, you got to go home. Um, And he was sent to uh, San Francisco to recover from his injuries. That's where I guess one of probably many places they would send injured soldiers when they got back stateside. And uh, he recovered from his injuries there and then was sent back home to Alabama. And uh, once he recovered, you know, and was growing his family, uh, he had a very difficult childhood. He was raised by his grandparents during the Great Depression. So uh, he wanted to provide a more comfortable, uh, sustaining life for his family. And in addition to uh, farming, and he was in the timber industry for a number of years, but in the in addition to a full-time job, he began making moonshine in 1946. And uh, he never sold a legal bottle in his entire life. When he started doing this, he didn't say, hey, one day I want to create Clyde Mays whiskey. You know, he didn't think that was possible. He was just providing for his family. And he was one of, you know, probably two dozen moonshiners in the area. He was just uh, far and away the most prominent. And he died in 1990. And about 11 years later, one of his sons, my uncle, Kenny May, started the brand legally based off of my grandfather's aged whiskey recipe. And for a majority of our legal existence, we were very small, uh, could only really be found in the state of Alabama, kind of had some ups and downs there for uh, a good while. But around 2012, 2013, uh, we got the proper backing and the right people to help lead the charge to really help grow this brand. And uh, ever since then, we have just haven't looked back and now we're in all 50 states and a handful of countries. So uh, we're just really uh, rocking and rolling now. And it all, like I said, started in the deep in the pines of Southeast Alabama. That's awesome. Yeah. It's such an improbable place for whiskey to start. That's what's part of what's intriguing about this brand. So since you guys became legal in 2001, what's like the progression been? I mean, what did you start with and what's been added on since then? So um, it was funny. Uh, we started with our Alabama style whiskey, which is what, you know, I know, you know, not to tease it too much, but I know that's one of the things we're tasting tonight. 
And for a majority of our legal existence, uh, well, I guess now at this point, it really isn't the majority. It's about half of the way up until about 2012, that Alabama style was the only um, product we had in our portfolio. That was the only one. We had an Alabama style whiskey. That was it. Uh, Then we introduced a higher proof Alabama style whiskey. And then from there, we introduced a bourbon and then a few other bourbons and then some barrel strength stuff and some aged products. So really all of the new stuff we've introduced has all kind of come just here in the last, um, you know, six or seven years. Interesting. So the progression, right? Like, you, you know, your brand started obviously, you know, 70 years ago, actually is probably a little longer than that. Now you're progressing, right? You have, you have a brand, it's, you have kind of several different, different iterations of it as well. And now you're building a distillery, you know, from that, you know, that first bottle to now, right. You know, did you ever think that you would see the brand in all 50 States and international and now also building a distillery, you know, in Alabama? Uh, absolutely not. Uh, back. Uh, I remember when my uncle started it, you know, it got a lot of press because back in 2001, it was actually still illegal to distill spirits in the state of Alabama. My uncle started the process of trying to start this brand in 1998, and he battled the state of Alabama for three years to try to get a license, and they kept telling him no because they had not given anyone a license up until that, you know, for hmm. uh, up until that didn't change until 2013, actually. So for the first 12 or so years of our legal existence, we've been uh, contract distilling and sourcing, uh, of course, using our, uh, my grandfather's finish, which we'll talk more about when we get to the Alabama style. And then in addition to that, since we were doing it because we had no legal uh, choice, we've been sourcing before people even knew what that was. You know, we were doing it because we had no other options. But now that it's legal here, the first legal distillery, I think, opened its doors in like late 2013, early 2014 is when it finally changed. And that's when we started the process of bringing it back home. But, um, you know, when my uncle started this, it gained some attention early on, especially in 2004. Ironically, we're the official state spirit of Alabama, even though only recently could we even make it here. But they uh, named us the official state spirit before we could legally make it here in 2004, uh, which I I believe a big reason they did that was more so about who Clyde made the man was versus the physical whiskey. Um, mm. But back then, uh, you know, we got uh, my uncle was interviewed by the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times and uh, NBC News came down to middle of nowhere, Alabama, and did a story and all that stuff. So for a while, there was some steam, but it still wasn't really going anywhere outside of Alabama. So um, for a long time, I thought, you know, if anything, it might grow throughout the Southeast or at best, you know, I I never really knew what to expect. And then uh, really, it just was a domino effect. It really just took off faster than I could even keep up with for a while. And uh, so to answer your question, uh, I'm happy where we are. I'm thrilled. It's a dream come true. Uh, my ultimate goal will be the master distiller of the new facility here in Troy. Uh, so really, it's come full circle. and I'm very excited about that. So, but uh, to be honest and frank, uh, I never expected it to be where it is today. It's awesome, right? Like you're seeing this like grow before your eyes, which I mean, that's kind of the ultimate like 
amazing family story that you're taking your grandfather's brand of what he did and got arrested for and, you know, putting it into practice. And now, you know, it's a, it's a brand all over the, all over the country. Well, let's, let's dive into it. So we're going to do something different. All right. Don't usually try rye first. We're going to go rye first on this one. So yeah. Good bottle. Cor- yeah. I, before the show, Connor, oh, thank you. Talking. Real corks. Thank you so much. Hey. But before the show, Connor and I were talking, right? Like, you know, what, what, which ones do we want to do? And Elsie said, it's kind of our preference. And I, you know, it's like, well, we never do rye first unless it's just a company that does just rye. So here we are. Let's do a rye. So Elsie, tell us a little bit about this one. So this is a uh, four year old rye, straight rye whiskey. Um, Mash bill is 95% rye, uh, 5% malted barley. Uh, char for American white oak barrels, uh, and that it's uh, new of uh, new barrels, of course. Got a really um, nice gold color to it. Yeah, uh, non chill filtered, which is something we're uh, pretty big on. We feel that keeps that natural flavor in there. But uh, uh, I really like this. Obviously, I'm biased. You know, I'm going to let you guys be the ones to share your true opinions. But I feel like this is different from a lot of other rye whiskeys. It doesn't quite knock you back with some of that black pepper spice that you get in some. Not, yeah, there's no there's no spice on it. I'm, yeah, we're, the one thing about us, I'll see, is we'll, we're going to give you our honest honest opinion. If it's, if we don't like it, I'll tell you. Nah, but, that's uh, that's all I want. This is man. all fruit yeah. Cake. yeah, all fruit cake for me. Like it's very sweet. It's not. It's not so. Like on the nose, you can kind of smell it. It's like it smells it's like perfume. Cream. But it's got no, nah, well, maybe, but it's got very like distinct, almost more bourbon notes, which is weird. I mean, 95% rye, you're thinking you're, you know, your, your brain is telling you you're going to tr- taste one thing and there, and it's not that at all. I mean, I get a little bit of like the pepper on the nose, but on the taste, I'm getting like all fruitcake. Oh, uh, it's crushable. This is crushable. This is, is, a good this thing. is what you drink with a cigar, which might do later. <laughs> really <laughs> yeah why not i don't blame you man it's been one of those days i could smoke a cigar right <laughs> last week was a was a long month yeah good one <laughs> i yeah i know i this is good i i um how do i want to describe this it's very uh I, I, yeah, I wouldn't think this is a, to be honest, I would not think that this is a 95, five rock. Like I, this does not, this is very, and I hate to say it. It's very smooth. There's very delicate flavor notes there. There's floral notes. There's fruity. There's more of like a, a light fruit there, like nice vanilla, but I don't get any typical rye spice on it. I feel like this would be good to mix in a cocktail, especially a rye, a rye forward cocktail. Um, I like this a lot. This is very, I'm surprised. I usually am not this, this big of a fan of a rye whiskey. Yeah. yeah good. I, I get that a lot, actually, you know, rye whiskey in general tends to be kind of a love hate relationship, not really for like the true whiskey connoisseur, but in terms of the more casual drinker, you know, when I'm doing seminars or whatever across the country, people will walk up to my table and they'll say, hey, I want to try your rye whiskey first. Or they will say, 
uh, hey, I want to try everything except dry whiskey. You know, there's normally no in-between. So I try to encourage people to try this rye because it's really not your typical rye. It really it really isn't. Uh, it's one of my uh, favorite uh, expressions in our portfolio. My grandfather, you know, a lot of people associate moonshine with uh, corn, you know, corn, whiskey, things like that, yeah. and rightfully so. But my grandfather was a big believer that rye is a flavor grain. So he was using a good bit of rye in his mash when he was making whiskey. In fact, when he got arrested in the early 1970s, one of the things they kind of used against him in his trial were all of the 50 pound bags of rye that they found in his uh, <laughs> barn. Um, and we tell a little bit of that story on the bottle there, uh, which I know the listeners can't physically see the bottle, but we have his original court transcripts uh, that where they ask him, in fact, they're literally right next to me, but uh, where they ask him like, Hey, you know, if you're not making whiskey, why do you have all this rye? And he was like, Oh, you know, I'm a farmer. I was going to plant it or whatever, but uh he was a much better whiskey maker than he was a liar, um, <laughs> which is why he had to do an eight month stint uh, in prison. But um, yeah, in fact, the bottle design that uh, half green, half cream color, that's actually the same color scheme of the prison cell walls that he served his time at uh, during the time he was there. So it's cool. Wow. So let's go to the next one, uh, the Clyde Mays uh, original Alabama whiskey. This is this is what started it off, right? This is this is the this is the OG. Uh, this the is OG. the original. Uh, so um, you know, I'll uh, I'll let you guys pour and taste, and I'll kind of give a little background as you're tasting. I don't want to, you know, you probably know a little bit about it already, but I don't want to uh, plant anything in your brains uh, just yet, but. Um, so this is a blend of four and five year old straight bourbon. Uh, it's 85 proof. Um, you know, um, what makes it a whiskey? Uh, so my grandfather, you know, I, people hear me say, oh, he's a, he's, he was a moonshiner. How did you get a whiskey recipe from a moonshine? Well, what helped my grandfather stand out from his, you know, two dozen competitors is he actually took the time to age a lot of his moonshine into whiskey. Now, he didn't have the luxury of aging it for four or five years like we do today. He aged it one barrel at a time. It was a 53-gallon barrel. He knew a gentleman that he was able to get a barrel from, a charred oak barrel, and uh, he would age it for about a year. And early on, he was not pleased with the not only the uh, taste, but the appearance because it only aged for a year. So it wasn't this, you know, nice brown color or amber color. It was more of a yellowish color because it not, it didn't have that full time to mature. So he began experimenting with different finishes. Uh, and he discovered through a trial and error that adding oven dried apple slices to the barrel at the end of the aging process did two things. The oven dried aspect would assist with the color, make the color a little more appealing. The apple aspect did just enough. It wasn't for flavor. He was very anti-flavor. He was a believer that you can make bad whiskey and disguise it by over-flavoring it, and that was not his goal. He did it as a finish to help soften it up a little bit. So today, this is a blend of four- and five-year-old straight bourbon. We don't have that aging issue, so we don't put oven-dried apple slices instead we put natural apple extract 
at the very end of the aging process with the blend. And once we add that, it becomes what we call an Alabama style whiskey. And uh, just to give you an idea how subtle that apple is, first off, most people don't even pick up on it. Some of your more experienced, you know, guys like yourself probably can get a little bit of it. But just to give you an idea, it makes up that apple makes up 0.003% of the blend. So it's like I said, it's not a flavored whiskey. It's a whiskey with flavor. It's very faint, but like that, it's like that aftertaste of apple juice at the end. You can get a little bit of that on the back of your palate. And it's worth noting, too, I would, uh, you know, be remiss if I didn't mention because this is our original. uh, A lot of people get confused with our brand. Not a lot of people at this point, but some people get confused and they think that every product we have is finished with a hint of apple. The only ones that have that hint of apple are the ones that say Alabama style on the bottle. Uh, So that's uh, that's a term that's actually trademarked to us. Uh, So uh, that's so if you don't see if it's Clyde Mays and it does not say Alabama style, it just is what it says it is. For example, the first one we had was just a straight up rye whiskey. So And this next one is a special reserve straight bourbon whiskey whiskey that's six years old. So this is does not say Alabama style on it either. No, this is a straight up bourbon, six year old small batch, hundred and ten proof. Just uh, re- uh, got the word. Uh, well, I got it. You know, we were able to announce today that this product just won double gold at the San Francisco World Wine Experience. Wow. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. In addition to that, the rye whiskey won gold, uh, but the uh, this that you're tasting now, this six-year-old won uh, double gold. So this one's nice. Nice little, little Kentucky hug. Nice caramel vanilla flavor to it. Medium finish. It's got, you, you can tell it's going to have a little bit more heat on it by the nose. Yeah, I agree. Um, but like on the nose, I get a little bit of a little bit of cherry, like some cherry vanilla on the nose. You know, you can always count on Paul to pick up cherry. That's his go. That's his go-to. If, if there's cherry in there, Paul will pick it up. That's one. That is one of the more common notes in bourbons. You know, that vanilla, caramel. Uh, you know, uh, nutmeg is a very common one. You know, or nuts, of course, oak. You know, those. That is one of. That's a common flavor, but a good one. You know, it's good to have that there. So tell us a little bit about this one. So um, this was something that, uh, you know, we were very excited to release because we knew we had something good. Um, You know, I know that term small batch is kind of that's kind of the one term in bourbon that's just open ended. You know, what is it? What does it mean? You know, to a huge company, a small batch might be a blend of five to six hundred barrels. You know what I mean? And to a a much, much, much smaller company, a small batch might literally be three barrels. You know, right. this is a blend of around 10 to 12 barrels. You know, that's kind of our, what we, a company our size, uh, kind of classifies as a small batch. Gotcha. Is, uh, so uh, now that's kind of my firm belief what a small batch should be, you know, nothing less or anything less than about 20 barrels. That's kind of not what I believe a small batch should be, you know, that's not necessarily the legal definition, but even if we get much larger, anything that has small batch on it will definitely be a blend of 20 or less barrels, no doubt. Right. 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 
So this from a- go ahead, Connor. Sorry. No, no. I was I, I was just going to comment that this is um, <clears throat> very interesting because it pulls a lot of and since you've been saying the green apple, I don't know if it's necessarily green apple that I get on this, but all of your selections here, there's a very prominent like a whether it's it, there's fruit in every single one of them, yeah. which a lot of my, a lot of the ones I've been re- drinking recently, just kind of randomly picking from my shelf and from what I have, it's for some reason, it's just been going towards like heavy oak, heavy, dark, dark, darker notes. This is a nice change of pace. I, is that something that like you look for when you're drinking is what, what do you like to like to, you know, smell and taste in your whiskeys? You know, for me, um, I'm kind of air on that side of more of the, uh, the fruit side or the floral side of things. That's kind of my wheelhouse or what I like. Um, I drink, you know, a lot of people assume, Hey, you're the grandson of Clyde May. You work for the brand. Is that's all you drink. Right. And I say, well, uh, it's a large percentage of what I drink, but not all I drink because, uh, you know, if you want to, you know, really know your stuff in this industry. You have to be able to taste other brands and see what you like and don't like. And expand your palate. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you got to really refine your palate. And uh, for me, what fruit, kind of some of those more fruitier notes does to a bourbon is it allows higher proof bourbons to taste lower proof than they actually are. You know, uh, that's that's what it does for me, at least. And that's what my grandfather was striving to do. You know, if he was making a whiskey or moonshine or whatever, regardless of the proof, he wanted it to taste much smoother than what the proof actually was. So that's kind of our what we strive for today with our products. You nailed it with the six year. You nailed that. It does not drink like under 10. So for the, like that next stage, right? You're building a, a distillery. When, uh, when do you expect it to be up and running and for you guys to be in production? I think it'll be about this time next year, uh, for phase one. Now this is, like I said, this will be the largest distillery in Alabama. It's going to be a full fledged, not only distillery, but tourism experience, just like something you see when you go to one of your major distilleries on the bourbon trail in Kentucky. So, okay. uh, phase one is what I call the important stuff, the actual distillation, bottling, rick houses, things of that nature. Um, that'll be about this time next year. And um, from there, the other phases will be stuff like the museum, the gift shop, the tasting room, uh, restaurant, uh, cabins that people can stay in when they come and visit. Rather, they're doing a barrel pick or they're just a super fan. But from there, um, right away, once we're everything's you know up and running in Troy, we will begin bottling immediately in Troy, Alabama. So it'll say bottled in Troy, Alabama. Uh, and then not long after that, we're going to take some of the barrels that we've laid down not too long ago, and we're going to let them finish aging in Alabama. And then we'll, so we'll be able to say aged and bottled in Alabama. And gotcha. then after that, it'll be distilled, aged, and bottled in Alabama. So that's kind of the timeline there. So will, will your first product that you actually release that's kind of your, the juice from the distillery be like a rye, like a two-year-old rye? You know, um, we're still kind of uh, teetering on what to do, you know, because we, right now, our youngest product is four years old. And we believe that we've 
you know, that's kind of our sweet spot, you know, not obviously there's a lot more factors that play when you start doing your own juice. So, you know, a lot of it has to do with, you know, going in there and tasting a lot of the products we release, uh, we'll have it. And we don't necessarily say, Hey, we're going to release this as a six-year-old. We just, you know, continue to taste until we find that profile we're looking for. And then it's like, all right, it's time to release this to the masses. I feel like we'll do something very similar at our distillery. You know, I don't think we're going to rush the process uh, because at the end of the day, we have a standard to uphold and keep going. And, you know, while we are very excited about this project, I'm, you know, tickled pink that it's happening. I, uh, you know, can't put into words how excited I truly am. At the same time, I don't want to, you know, go out there and hurry just to try to get something on the market, you know. It's got to it's got to keep to our standard of excellence. And if it does, great. If it's not ready yet, we'll wait a little longer. No, that's that's perfectly fair. Uh, So, you know, when do you think when will this this, the distillery be completely up and running for, you know, visitors and everything? I think by the end of 2023, because once the you know, the difficult parts for the actual distillation bottling all the equipment you know when when you're talking you know your your stills and uh fermenters and all these things that's the difficult stuff everything else once you get that done everything else seems like a piece of cake it's not a piece of cake i'm not a construction company doing it they heard me saying that they'd probably be like what is this kid talking about (laughs) but uh, uh i feel like um you know in terms of the rest of the phases um i feel like we will be completely we'll be doing small tours pretty early on. You know, it won't be maybe what it'll be at the end of 2023, but we'll start opening, you know, allowing people to come in and see what we've built. But in terms of the entire facility, I'm thinking, you know, late 2023, maybe early 2024 for the entire facility. That'd be really, uh, be really cool. Uh, Especially since you're bringing, you know, bourbon, you know, to a kind of a whole different, part of the country because i can't really think of any other places in alabama that have a bourbon distillery right i like i said there's a few very small ones uh you know and and there's some good ones out there you know it's uh there's no doubt about it but um to your point earlier you know in terms of our brand where uh when people think alabama and they think whiskey they think of us you know because we kind of been ahead of the curve a little bit and got started you know Honestly, I would have loved to have been distilling in Alabama this whole time. You know, that would have been awesome. Uh, But really, everything happens for a reason, and we've come full circle. Had we been able to build a distillery back in 2001, it probably could have fit in my garage. You know what I mean? It would have been nothing like we're doing right now. Uh, So uh, it's while it's been uh, aggravating at times, it's like I said, everything happens for a reason, and we're uh finally bringing it home so i'm very excited about that what is the uh what is your coolest moment so far working for the brand you know i have so many but it's when people you know come up to you especially there's been a few moments where i'll be in a store maybe about to do a bottle signing and they don't really know who i am i'm kind of walking around the store it hasn't started yet and you know people come up and be like hey are you here for the 
Bottle signing Clyde Mays is my favorite brand on earth. I've been drinking it for two or three years and I'll be in somewhere like California or I've been to Alaska two times for work related reasons, you know, way up. And I've been as far north as Denali, Alaska, you know, that's when you kind of feel like you're not on planet earth anymore. And when you're in places like that and you see the people who just truly enjoy this product and enjoy hearing the story of my grandfather, Clyde May, it's, uh, really humbling in a way because you know we're we were humble folks my family still hard-working people you know get up early every morning and work and we grew up on rabbit road in the middle of southeast alabama you know not people say hey i grew up in a town with one stop light you know i grew up in an area that didn't even have a stop sign you know it's, <laughs> uh, i grew up uh, uh i had to go to town to hunt you know what i mean so uh to be to be able to travel to these big cities and other places, it's uh, really cool. But to, so I know that's not one specific answer, but it's it's kind of, I guess, really and truly. It all uh, ties together. It all ties together. You know, when I'm, you know, in literally a place like Denali, Alaska, and someone's coming up to me and is like, hey, I learned about your brand about two years ago, and it's been my go-to ever since. And I'm like, man, if I wanted to get home right now, if I was able to get a direct flight some miraculous way, it would take me 10 hours. And here I'm talking to this guy who's a fan of my grandfather, you know, way down in Alabama. It just, it really is unbelievable. That's really awesome. Elsie, um, thank you for, for joining us, for sharing your whiskey and, and your family story. Uh, give everyone uh, a shout on where they can follow, uh, follow you and learn more about your brand. Yeah, you can uh, follow, uh, we're on all the so or the major social channels uh, at Clyde Mays Whiskey on Instagram and Facebook at Clyde Mays underscore on Twitter. Uh, ClydeMays.com is a great resource for uh, where to find a bottle. We have a great store locator there where you can just type in your zip code and it'll show you where to find it. Uh, if you're interested in seeing me and my exciting life, uh, I can be found on Instagram at LCMay474. So uh, just, uh, you know, follow along on this incredible journey and, uh, you know, come hang out sometime in Troy, Alabama and drink some great whiskey. Connor, I think we need to make a trip to Alabama sometime. I, hey, listen, roll tide. That's what I'm saying. So yeah, we like, <laughs> hey, we like to say roll Clyde, baby. You know, that's, uh, that's, kind, of, <laughs> that's kind of our war cry uh, is our, that's uh, roll Clyde. Can't say that too much here in the great state of Alabama. I don't want to, you know, upset our brethren, the Auburn Tigers. But when I'm anywhere else, I can. War damn eagle. Uh, Hey, look, uh, you know, I'm an Alabama graduate. You know, uh, I I love Alabama, but, you know, I love this brand more. So if I have to wear a shirt and stand in Tumor's Corner and say War Eagle to sell a bottle, you best (laughs) believe I'm going to do it. Connor's (laughs) a really good bandwagon fan. So. Well, you guys are welcome in Alabama anytime, you know, so you can, uh, you have a place to stay and we'll, we'll hang out and do this again sometime. I greatly appreciate, uh, I want to just take a moment to thank you guys. You know, anytime I'm given a platform to tell my grandfather's story, uh, I don't take that lightly. It means a lot. So thank you guys very much. Yeah, absolutely. One thing, pleasure to have you. We, uh, yeah, it's, it is a pleasure. One thing I want to ask before we let you go is, and I'm curious, I can kind of tell, I feel like I know a few people probably like how your grandfather were, uh, how your grandfather was. 
Um, I, have, I feel like I have a few people in my life that are kind of like him. I, I kind of just get the vibe. What do you think if he, if he were here today, what do you think he would say about everything that's happening? Well, I tell people all the time, if Clyde May were alive today, this brand wouldn't exist because he would still be <laughs> making it illegally. I can assure you. Um, he was not a boastful man. He didn't like to brag on himself. You know, he he lived his life in a way where he just worked hard. He was a firm believer in hard work. He was a firm believer that your reputation is attached to anything you do. It doesn't matter if you're making whiskey or doing somebody's taxes. You know, your reputation is attached to that. So if you don't give it your all, then that's a failure right then and there. Uh, but uh, and truthfully, if he were alive and this brand legal brand did exist, you know, I think he would be most proud of the impact that it's had on, you know, the people we employ, the people that the distillery will employ and how that's going to positively impact the community that he was impacting when he was alive. I think he'd be most proud of that. But uh, in terms of the physical whiskey itself, um, I think more important than anything, he wouldn't worry about, you know, anybody else. He would just be making damn sure it was good whiskey. Uh, I know he would be on top of it. And if it didn't meet his standard, he better believe it wouldn't be on that shelf. Trust me. Roll Tide. Elsie, right. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. And remember, a bourbon with friends could change the world. That's it for this episode of Bourbon with Friends. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. While you're at it, leave us a review to make it easier for others to find the show. You can also check us out on Instagram at BWF Podcast. Thanks for listening.